Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with me, Nicholas Feezy. And uh, in case you haven't seen the email, the theme today is, uh, what are you committed to? That's the theme we're talking about today. But I just want to start with a little quote from Thich Nhat Hanh. Everyone we cherish will someday get sick and die. If we do not practice the meditation on emptiness, when those things happen, we'll be overwhelmed. Concentration on emptiness is a way of staying in touch with life as it is. But it has to be practiced and not just talked about. We observe our body and see all the causes and conditions that have brought our bodies into being. Our parents, our country, the air, and even future generations. We go beyond time and space, me and mine, and taste true liberation. If we only study emptiness as a philosophy, it will not be a door to liberation. Emptiness is a door of liberation when we penetrate it deeply and we realize interdependent, co-arising and the interbeing nature of everything that is. That's Thich Nhat Hanh. And this is the second in the little series that I'm doing on the importance of spiritual practice. Last week we looked at spiritual practice as being the core of our relationship with the essence of all things. That we had to enter our practice with trust. Not looking for a feeling or an experience, but trusting that a connection is being made. For that to happen, we have to first make the decision to embark on the spiritual life. Before anything can happen, we have to make that decision to embark on the spiritual life. And second, we have to have the intention to make the connection. We have to have that intention to make the connection. And lastly, we have to be willing to allow ourselves to be led by the fruits of that connection. Decision to prioritize the spiritual life, intention to follow through, and the willingness to do whatever is necessary. What that quote from Thich Nhat Hanh says is that it's not good enough just to espouse the philosophy of spirituality. We have to actually live it in our lives. Concentration on emptiness is a way of staying in touch with life as it is, but it has to be practiced, not just talked about. If we only study emptiness as a philosophy, it will not be the door to liberation. Emptiness is a door of liberation when we penetrate deeply and we realize interdependent co-arising and the interbeing nature of everything that is. By emptiness, Tiknakhan means the letting go of our marvellous ideas and thoughts about our lives. Emptiness is the letting go of our marvellous ideas and thoughts about our lives, letting go 
of our attachment to feelings, to feeling good or bad, letting go of our attachment to outcomes, good and bad, and our attachment to the way that people think about us, good and bad. Emptiness is about letting go of all the agendas, and those were the agendas, the agendas that corrupt us. That, that word corrupt, co-rampere, uh, that breaks the integrity of the whole. Core in corrupt means the whole, rampere, which means to break. So corruption, corrupt is to break the integrity of the whole. And that breaks the integrity of the whole, those agendas, and the whole being that we have union with reality. The whole that we have when we consciously allow that ground of being to inhabit us. When we allow that to happen, we have a connection with all that is real. So our agendas break that connection. Emptiness is about letting go of the agendas that corrupt us. But of course... It is a way of inhabiting that um, emptiness. is a way of inhabiting that union with reality. It's a way of connecting with the essence in the universe. And if we're not connected with the essence of the universe, we wouldn't be alive. You wouldn't be here. You have to be connected to that essence of the universe in order to be alive. You know? And when we are alive, we then have the choice, and this is where the corruption comes in, we have the choice of going with our minds, what our minds want us to do, or allowing the deep wisdom of that ground of all being to guide us. That's the choice we always have in life, to go with what our mind says, or to, to, to go down into our hearts and allow a connection to be made and allow that deep wisdom within us to guide us. It can only guide us when we're empty. Because otherwise, we've got all the agendas going on. You know, we know what we want. We want that car. We want that relationship. So we're going to do that. But if you're empty of that, then you're, you're a vessel that's able to be guided. When we have other agendas, when we're, we're driving the boat ourselves rather than letting the wind drive the boat. When I, I remember sailing once, going on a sailing trip, we went to Tahiti and uh, there were four or five boats and we always had races and we always sort of were suspicious of the one in front that they had their engine on rather than he's got his engine on, he's not sailing. And actually what, what happens is that you having your engine on spiritually is when you decide, no I'm not going that direction, I'm going to grab a few grand from the bank and I'm going to go in the other direction. That's, that's having our agendas. As Ramakrishna says, the winds of God's grace, the winds of God's grace are always blowing. It is for us to raise our sails. So that, that idea of making that connection, raising our sails in the spiritual life and allowing ourselves to be led, that's the way it works. So really, we, we strive for emptiness. Or, or to be more exact, we let go into emptiness. It is in letting go that we arrive at our destination, which is to be of a one with that universal consciousness, with that with deep wisdom. And, you know, that deep wisdom, it's that deep wisdom that keeps us alive, that keeps our hearts beating, that keeps us breathing, that keeps the seasons going round. You know, the, there is an order, a deep wisdom that keeps everything going. And, and yet we want our own mind that's been here for 
looking out there, maybe 40 or 50 years, but however long it is, less for some of you. Um, but that deep wisdom is there, and yet we, just, we always rely on our minds. That letting go into that consciousness is called the apophatic way. It's a letting go into things. We let go and make ourselves nothing so that our being may be filled with the being of life. We let go of all the stuff that's going on in our minds and everything to let go into that being so that that being may be the being of our life. As Thomas Merton puts it, and I've used this before I know, but it's always appropriate. God utters me like a word containing a partial thought of himself. God utters me like a word containing a partial thought of himself. A word will never be able to comprehend the voice that utters it. But if I'm true to the concept that God utters in me, if I'm true to the thought of him that I was meant to embody, I shall be full of his actuality and find him everywhere in myself and find myself nowhere. I shall be lost in him. That is, I shall find myself. I shall be saved. That's the idea of letting go into that emptiness. Our spiritual practice, therefore, is really just a letting go into emptiness. You can see that in meditation. We let go of our thoughts and allow ourselves to be with our point of focus, whatever that is. Not expecting anything, just being. And that being is... That being is being in the present moment, in the presence of the ground of all being. We let go into the present moment. We let go into the ground of all being. And that ground of all being fills us with the wisdom, which is our inheritance and our birthright. That wisdom has been passed down through the genetic code right the way from the beginning of time. We've received it through all the previous generations, through plants and animals. That ability to connect has always been there. It goes right the way back. We let go of our thoughts, allowing ourselves to go into that inheritance of that wisdom, which is our birthright. And that birthright is not to be sold for a mess of pottage. That's our short-term desires and aspiration. A good biblical reference. Anyone know the biblical reference? It's Jacob uh, selling his birthright to Esau for a mess of pottage. Israel was there. Jacob wanted the birthright, so he persuaded Esau to sell him the birthright because Esau was hungry, and so he sold it for a mess of pottage. And funnily enough, all our short-term agendas, they are the mess of pottage that we sell that birthright of that infinite wisdom for. The wisdom is our inheritance and the inheritance of all humanity. And our life work is to discover the relationship with that wisdom. And you know, the evolution of consciousness has always depended on people doing that. The way that it has moved on. Wisdom has moved on through the generations. And we are that generation now. And, you know, the evolution of consciousness in our generation depends upon us responding to that. But to bring it back just to ourselves, we start with the decision to be involved and the, then the intention to connect, then the willingness to do whatever is necessary. And that involves commitment. The willingness 
to get involved involves commitment. It's not good enough just to agree with the philosophy. It has to be lived as an experienceable reality. If we only study emptiness as a philosophy, it will not be the door to liberation. And I think that's true for us here. A lot of what we talk about here, what we talk about in the chapel here, it's nice. It, it sounds nice. It seems a nice thing to put into the world. And it's, it's nice that it's being sent here. But that niceness is just not enough. Just to have nice things said. If we're discussing philosophy here, that, that will not do. It'll make no difference. What will make a difference is the commitment to practice. That will make a difference. Commitment. The pledging or engaging of oneself. A pledge, a promise from com, which means together, with or together, and mitere, which means to release, to let go, to send. Mitere is to release, to let go, and to send. So to all together release, let go, and send. So commitment is really throwing ourselves into something, letting go into a course of action. Sometimes when we think about commitment, we think that we have to screw ourselves up. You know, really, I'm going to commit to this. In order to get it done. In fact, the etymology of the word tells us that we let go into something fully. That's what commitment is. To release ourselves into a course of action that will have its own momentum. Like letting go into a river. And yes... That takes a decision, it takes intention, and it takes willingness. And it's a real decision for all of us. It's a decision to go in that direction, to take up a spiritual practice. Decision, to decide. Homicide is killing men. Fratricide is killing your brother. Decide, literally, is killing off the alternatives. When you decide... You kill off the alternatives. In deciding to follow through on our spiritual life, we commit to developing that sensitive and rewarding relationship with eternal truth and love. We commit to developing a practice that will enable us to open, in taking that hand's words, the door of liberation when we penetrate it deeply and we realize interdependent co-arising of that wisdom and the interbeing nature of everything that is. Now, I think that's really the only game in town. I think that's the only game in town. It's the only thing that's really worth committing to because it actually includes everything else. And it's not about taking anything up. It's about letting go of everything else so that what remains is an emptiness that will allow the energy of life to flow through us. It's about letting go and letting it happen. Not identifying with our ideas, our great plans, our good name, the feelings we want and the things that we want to do. Not identifying with all of those things, but identifying with the wisdom and energy that comes through us. Identifying 
with the wisdom and energy that comes through us, rather than identifying with everything else. Realizing that the life force that's deep within us and that life force that keeps us alive can also be a source of guidance and wisdom and can be expressed by us as we go through our lives. We're actually asked to die to everything else but that life force within us. We're asked to let go of everything else. So much of who we are is bound up in our identity. Our minds make us think that, that they are who we are. Our mind, you know, we, our minds say, yeah, yeah, you're your mind. That's who you are. You're your mind. We identify, therefore, with our minds. The minds makes us think that we are our ideas. We are our personality. We are our individualness. But that's not who we are. Personality. That's the thing, you know, we, I am my own personality. That's what we think. But personality comes from the Greek word persona. The persona was the mask that the actors wore in Greek plays. The tragic mask or the comedy mask was called the persona. And it literally means, in Greek, that which was spoken through. The persona is that which was spoken through. Our personality is just a mask. In reality, who we are, that which is speaking through the mask of our personality is that life force of the universe being expressed through the bodies and minds that we've been given. Who we are is that life force speaking through the body and minds that we've been given. To identify with the body-mind is like an author identifying with a book. An author is not the book. She is speaking through the book. We are not our body-minds. We are the energy that is speaking through our body-minds. Death is the time when we really get this. <laughs> Death is the time. We're all going to get this, by the way. I mean, you know, we are all going to get this. But it's whether you get it before then or, or boom, when you get it at that moment. We're frightened of death because we see the end of everything that we've been identifying with all our lives coming to an end. We're frightened because we see everything we've identified with is going to finish at death. When in fact, we've been identifying with the wrong thing. We're not our minds. We're not even our bodies. We are the life force that animates all of that. And when the body and the mind dies, that life force still remains. It carries on as it did before we were born. It animates all that exists as part of the universal consciousness, which is at the heart of everything. Do you know, even at the most basic level, we do carry on. You can see that, you know, our atoms and all the bits of our body, they carry on and they feed trees and, and you know, they feed stuff. And even all our ideas carry on, you know. Everything you do in your life stays. Nothing is ever lost. It's always in that. It's in the, it's, I like the idea of the library of consciousness, 
that everything you ever do is in that library of consciousness and it's findable somewhere by somebody if they want to. It all carries on and actually the spirit that is animating you doesn't stop. It does carry on. It's all about the energy that's coming through us. That's where our commitment must be rather than in the ideas that come through our minds or the feelings that come through our bodies. So often we put all our commitment into our thoughts and feelings and then we wonder why in the end we feel a sense of loss and failure as death approaches. But if we put our commitment into that life force within us, the energy and wisdom that animates us, then we're betting on a sure thing. Because it will never go away. It is always with us. Yea, I will be with you even unto the end of the age. That's what that means. That's what that's referring to. And then the same bloke said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, identifying with our minds and bodies, where moths and vermin and worms destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves can't break in, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's talking about the, what we identify with, the body-mind rather than the, in the eternal spirit. The eternal life Eternal life exists in the life force that's within us, and it's the only thing worth committing to. In fact, I've written a book about it. It's called Living the Life Force, published by Ozark Mountain Publishers and available on Amazon now. So, first we have to engage with the spiritual side of life. Then we have to have the intention to connect with that energy, and then the willingness to do whatever is necessary. And what I've tried to say to you today is that it's worth making that commitment. That commitment to our bodies and our minds is only of temporary use. The commitment to our body minds is only temporary use. Literally, it is temporal in nature. Relating to worldly, the, the definition of temporal is relating to worldly as opposed to spiritual affairs. The commitment to our body-minds is temporary in nature. But a commitment to that energy and wisdom that's within is a commitment to that which goes on forever and never dies. Because we identify with our bodies and our minds, we see finality in life. When we identify with our bodies and minds, we see finality in life. We're afraid of death and all that business. When we identify with the spirit, there is eternity. So it's worth it. It's worth putting it into practice. Literally putting it into a spiritual practice. Not just thinking, oh, that sounds great. But about committing to it, committing to a spiritual practice be that walking in the mountains or meditation or chanting or prayer or whatever, whatever it is. Whatever it is. It's, it's all about giving house room to that wisdom. Putting aside a time and giving house room to that wisdom and making it have to happen often and regularly. 
and making a commitment to learning and working it out and doing it together. That's what we do here, either here or with others who have a similar commitment. That's what we're about as this community here. We're about learning this and working it out together. That's why turning up is important. That's why showing up. That's why showing up is important. So we learn this together. We encourage each other in our commitment. And we lean together and learn together how to live life more skillfully. And to do that, we have to just let go. Let go of thinking it won't make any difference. Which we do often think it won't make any difference. We have to let go of that. Let go of thinking, let go of the idea of I can't be bothered to show up. Let go of the opinions and ideas that you have about me or all of this. Letting go of the wonderful ideas that you have about your life. And by the way, I can tell you those ideas are all going to end badly because they are based upon an entity that will only last for about four score years and ten. So just be aware of that at best. Letting go of our ideas of success and failure of resentments and expectations, letting go into that flow of life that will take you into eternity. It makes sense, to me at least, and that the core of it is all about what we're committed to. I love Khalil Gilbrand's The Prophet, and he puts it really well when he talks about prayer, and what he's talking about in prayer, he's talking about spiritual practice, he's talking about making that connection with that divine force. This is from Khalil Gobran. Then the priestess said, speak to us of prayer. And he answered saying, you pray in your distress and your need. Would that you might pray also in the fullness of your joy and your days of abundance. For what is prayer? but the expansion of yourself into the living ether. What is prayer but the expansion of yourself into the living ether? And if, it is, and if it is for your comfort to pour out your darkness into space, it is also for your delight to pour forth the, da- the dawning of your heart. If it is for your comfort to pour your darkness into space, it's also for your delight to pour forth the dawning of your heart. And if you cannot but weep when your soul summons you to prayer, she should spur you again and yet again, though weeping, until you shall come out laughing. When you pray, you rise to meet in the air those who are praying at that very hour and who save in prayer you might not meet. Therefore, let your visit to that temple invisible invisible be for naught but ecstasy and sweet communion. Let your visit to that temple invisible be for naught but ecstasy and sweet communion. For if you should enter the temple for no other purpose than of asking, you shall not receive. If you should enter it to humble yourself, then you shall not be lifted up. Or even if you should enter it to beg for the good of others, you shall not be heard. 
It is enough that you enter the temple invisible. I cannot teach you how to pray in words. God listens not to your words, save when he himself utters them through your lips. And I can't teach you the prayer of the seas and the forests of the mountains. But you, who were born of the seas and the forests and the mountains, can find their prayer in your heart. And if you but listen to the stillness of the night, you shall hear them saying in silence, Our God, who are our winged self, it is thy will in us that willeth. It is thy desire in us that desireth. It is thy urge in us that would turn our nights, which are thine, into days, which are thine also. We cannot ask thee for aught, for thou knowest our needs before they are born in us. Thou art our need, and in giving us more of thyself, thou givest us all. It's Khalil Gibran. So I just want to suggest that we just end this just with a little just a moment of, of meditation, maybe with your eyes closed. And when I say that question, who are you? What do you identify with? Is it your name? Is it your thoughts? Is it your body? Is it your job? Who are you? And when I say, who are you, see if you can identify with that living force that's within you. Take your attention from your minds to your hearts and place it where that living force is. That life force that keeps you alive, that tells your body what to do. See if you can begin to identify with that. And if it seems a bit misty and difficult to get hold of, then maybe see if you want to commit to investigating that place in your spiritual practice, informing a spiritual practice with the sole aim of investigating that life force at the center of who you are, that life force that's coursing through your whole body, every cell that was in that tiny DNA in that sperm that created you and in the tiny DNA in the egg, passed on from generation to generation and now it's there with you. Identify with that. That's where our salvation lies. And spirituality is the cultivation of a sensitive and rewarding relationship with that life force that's within you. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.